Broadcasting from the News Radio 102.9 KARN Radio Center and Studio 1B, it is Guatney Unplugged with Scott Romine. Hey, Scott here. Hope your Saturday is going great. As you know, the world revolves around the Dukes of Hazard and Star Wars for me, and we sure have an interesting guest on the show today that has, well, just an incredible story. Welcome to the show, Tim Donaldson. He's uh, talking to us from California. How are you, Tim? I'm doing great. How are you doing today? I am doing great. I am excited. I've read about your story online, and I'm just excited to to hear it from you first person. So, so without giving anything away, I'll just let you tell the whole story as you remember it. Okay. Well, very good. So understand, we're talking about 45 years ago this happened. Mm-hmm. Uh, and And I'll just... Like you said, I'm just going to get right into it. Sure. So my parents worked for the National Park Service. And so we would live at different national parks throughout our lives. And at one point in our life, we lived in Death Valley National Monument down in Southern California. Would you live on the property? We did, yes. So there was a small housing area for uh, park employees. And that's actually where I I grew up part of my life and attended school there. So one day in January of 1977, a gentleman and a, a team of individuals came into our school and asked if they could borrow eight kids for a couple of days of filming. And at the time... Nobody knew who this gentleman was, and uh, so he was George Lucas. Wow. And Yeah, and Gary <laughs> Kurtz was there as well. And they were filming um, some pickup scenes for Star Wars, which is now known as A New Hope, uh, Episode 4. Did he request any chaperones or anyone from the school to go with you? I, I don't know that he requested it. Uh, or the school or parents or whatever, but chaperones were requested. Um, one of them I know was uh, Joe Weber's mother was there, and she took some of the internet pictures that you can see. Um, Andrea Wickman Miller's mother went on one day, and then um, oddly enough, one of the chaperones for the day was my seven-year-old sister. <laughs> well, obviously, if they're only picking eight kids, what were the requirements? How did you get the gig and how many kids were they picking out of? It had to have been a small school. It was a very small school. It was a, a K through, I believe K through 12 is what it ended up being. Um, but it's it's got to be something probably like 30, 35 kids at the most through all those those age ranges. So um, that's unreal. So George yeah, I, Lucas comes and gets you and seven of your friends, obviously. And and what do you do? What do you become? Well, I'd like to I'd like to back up a little sure. bit. We'll fill in a little bit of the story. So primary primary location for filming was Tunisia, Africa. And they they took their whole production over there and filmed a lot of the tattooing scenes. Um, there in that country, uh, and those scenes included Jawas. Mm-hmm. And in 
Africa, a lot of the scenes were shot with professional adult actors. And then uh, some of the Jawas were uh, crew's children, um, as in Tiffany and Melissa Kurtz were Jawas over in Tunisia. Yeah. And and then some of them were actually local actors. There's a really or a local children. There's a really great great photo of a young lady um i don't think anybody knows who she is but she was local um and so they did all the filming over there and as i understand it when they came back to california um to start doing you know with the cuts and stuff editing yeah the editing of it um some of the film had been destroyed on the way back oh and i'm not I don't really know any details around that. Um, but George Lucas felt that, you know, without that particular, those scenes, the, the film was incomplete. Um, sure. They were very far over budget. They couldn't return to Africa. And so he tasked his crew. He said, Hey, we need to find a place, um, that looks like Africa pretty close to home. And, and so that's how they came to death Valley. Well, what um, scenes were missing or, or what pieces, uh, were damaged? I mean, that we would know, I mean, I know the movie front and back and I couldn't tell you death Valley from the real Tatooine, uh, honestly. Right. So, um, some of the sand dune scenes when R2D2 and C3PO, um, went out of the escape pod. Yep. Um, some of those sand dune scenes are Death Valley. Some of them are Tunisia. Um, the scene of R2-D2 motoring, motoring through the canyon is Death Valley. Okay. Um, we did film running out to R2-D2 after he got shot to pick him up. Mm-hmm. Um, and we may have filmed the shooting scene, too. I remember that one of us did have the Jawa blaster. It wasn't myself. It was another individual. Um and so we ran out, picked up R2-D2 <laughs> and carried R2-D2 up to the sand crawler. That is a Death Valley scene. Um, and then we also filmed setting R2-D2 down and um, and walking up the stairs as well. You probably filmed some things that are not in the movie, I'm guessing. Probably so. Um, oh, a and some of there's scenes in there where Jawas are peeking out and rocks are rolling. Yes. Yes. That's, that's also death Valley. Wow. Now, now what did you think as a kid you're handling the real R2D2, but yet no one in the world knows what an R2D2 is. What did you think it was just a big Coke can or something? Well, the, the funny thing is, you know, at that point, science fiction was a, a totally different direction than it it is now. And at the time, so what George Lucas did was he came in because he already had Jawas um, in costume filmed and in the can. He needed us to match that. And so when they when he came to the schoolhouse, they all lined us all up. And he had specific measurements to match us to Jawas. Ah. And that's that's how he picked us. So I happened to be the lucky height of how many ever inches that was. 
Um, my sister, funny enough, two years older than I am, was a half an inch too tall. <laughs> so and she didn't make the cut. She did not make the cut. And it's it's funny because I think about how a kid is when you when you go to measure them, they stand up nice and tall and probably stretch it a little bit. And she probably <laughs> probably did that and, and pushed herself out of it. What did the um, what did the staff at the school did they think? I mean, no one really knows who George is at this point. Did they kind yeah, of think, think where you're making a horrible B movie that's never going to see the light of day? That that is exactly what happened. Um, so so here we are, and he's filming this science fiction film, and the parents looking at it are looking at dirty, grungy, broken junk. <laughs> that doesn't fit anything like what science fiction was to that point. Well, that's true. It was all clean and sharp and prim and proper. And and here this guy shows up and it's it's just junk. Uh, my mom wrote a, a letter to my grandmother after we were done and, and said that I was in some second rate B grade sci-fi flick that's never going to make the box office. And it's um, the biggest movie of all time. Hey, we got to yeah, take a I mean, quick break, Tim. We're talking with Tim Donaldson. He played a Jawa in the original Star Wars, A New Hope, which, of course, was not called A New Hope at that point. And we'll be right back here on Guatney Unplugged. <laughs> You're listening to Guatney Unplugged on News Radio 102.9 KARN with Scott Romine. Brought to you by Guatney Automotive Group. Hey, Scott Romine here. We're talking to Tim Donaldson from California, and he played one of the original Jawas in the film Star Wars. Thank you for doing this, Tim. Tim, what was George Lucas like on the set? Well, I don't have a lot of memories of him. Uh, now, again, I was five years old at the time. Sure. Um, I was the only kindergartner picked. Uh, and and it's my understanding that I am the youngest cast member in Star Wars A New Hope by, by a considerable amount. So, um, Wow. I my can't believe memories. <laughs> Unreal. <laughs> yeah. Just, I mean, it, it is. I mean, because I was about four when the movie came out. We're about the same. I'm 48. And right, I can rem- 50, yeah, yeah, and I can remember seeing the movie so vividly at that young age. I can't imagine actually being one of the characters on the screen. Yeah, and and so the memories I have of George uh, are kind of around a funny situation. It was a very, uh, you know, intense moment, I guess, for the time. So we were tasked to, to run down this hill to collect R2-D2. Um, and I, I got to believe that having picked eight children from an elementary school that had never had any aspirations of acting of any kind must have just been like herding cats. Sure. Like it, you know, we probably had some sort of direction on how to run because that's how they did it in Tunisia. And, and it was just, it must've been, just been, you know, pulling <laughs> his hair out type of thing. So we run down to pick up R2D2 and this unit was one of the ones that Kenny Baker would actually sit inside to move around. Mm-hmm. And we pick up the unit, um, and start to carry him. 
and his head would fall off. <laughs> and and it just kept happening repeatedly and they'd they'd stop and the crew would put it back on and we'd pick him up and and I remember one time George was just screaming, Keep going, keep going, keep going. But his head had fallen off. And really? It was yeah, there was just no going and and so he was getting pretty upset around it. Um they eventually did tape it on with some sort of tape, either be it a a gaff tape or a duct tape. I'm not sure what they had at the time, but ended up taping his head back on. And I, I remember in some of the early VHSs, I do believe you can see that still on there before the remake. Really? And I would imagine his, his head falls off because Kenny Baker manipulated the head himself, correct? Turning well, it around and all that. Well, he wasn't in it. You're right. Was, that thing's empty. So it's a little, it's light. empty. Is it still pretty yeah. heavy. As I remember, it was it was reasonably heavy, but with all of us, you know, combined to do it, it wasn't it was manageable. I got you. And and to be clear, not where these scenes fit in the film, you still don't have the actors and things like we know the sand people, you know, tearing up this the land speeder and you know, you none of that occurs where you were filming, correct? Well, they were doing some some um, additional filming during the time. I remember Margie the Elephant being there, which was pretty spectacular for a five-year-old. I mean, I didn't really care about this robot, which I didn't even know what a robot was. Sure. All I cared about was this elephant. I thought that was the coolest thing. Um, they were doing some Tuscan Raider scenes at the time um, because I remember trying on a Tuscan Raider helmet and holding their rifle. I remember that pretty vividly. Um, wow. I, yeah, it was pretty. Um, so, the, of so, course, explain to everybody what the elephant is in Star Wars. Uh, the elephant, Margie, was dressed up in costume and is now a bantha, which right. is a, a big, furry, horned creature that uh, everybody knows now from the Book of Boba Fett and uh you know they they've really come back strong with the tuscan raiders and uh so that's what the the margie the elephant became was a bantha were you familiar with that particular elephant of being in your local zoo or something i mean where does that come from no in fact um she came from um sea world i believe it was called at the time in vallejo mm -hmm. uh which is East Bay, San Francisco area. Um, I don't believe I had been to the Sea World at that point. We did go later. Um, and the interesting thing is the Bantha costume Sea World actually got to keep and they had it displayed outdoors for years and years and years until my understanding it just kind of disintegrated and and they let it go to good the, grief. The it was worth a yeah. fortune. Yeah, now it is. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Hey, we're talking with Tim Donaldson. He worked on the original Star Wars. He's just, uh, what, five years old playing a Jawa. Who are the other kids? Were there your friends? And where are they these days? Do we know? Well, there's there was eight of us all together. Um, and we we're all friends of sorts. I mean, we we're in the same school, but I don't know how much a a kindergartner associated with a second grader was probably, you know, we, 
we had our own, but Joe Weber was my best friend. He was in first grade. Um, did he make the movie? He made the movie. He did the make film? the movie. Yeah. Um, and he, he's been quote unquote found. Um, and he's kind of started the, the, the con circuit, um, convention circuit. He did one in England right before COVID hit. Um, and then we've been kind of shut down ever since. Um, Andrea Wickman Miller, she was in second grade. She was a friend of my sister's. Um, her and I got discovered together in 2018. Um, and we got to do two conventions before COVID. When you say discovered, what what did fans find you out? Or, or were you a big Star Wars fan and just putting it out there? Or how did that occur? Well, I'm of course, I'm a huge Star Wars sure. fan. Uh, but it, it's kind of funny how it worked with me. Uh, we we were not in the credits. Um, we were just extras. I would tell people that I was in Star Wars, and people always asked, oh, are you in the credits? And I'd have to say, no, I wasn't. Um, and people didn't really believe me. Right. So I, I pretty much quit telling the story. Um, in fact, I, I did 10 years in the the U.S. Air Force, and I don't know that I ever told anybody in the Air Force that I was in Star Wars. Right. And and then uh, come 2017, I started getting inquiries um, from an autograph collector. And to be honest, I didn't believe him. I I kind of just brushed it off and but he would continue conversation and. You know, he asked me, were you in Star Wars? I said, yeah, you know, I, I definitely was. And How did he know uh, that? There was a point where I came to a, a signing where there was an individual that claimed to be one of the Death Valley Jawas that wasn't. Mm-hmm. Um, and he actually signed for many years. Um, and they, they actually wanted me to write something on there, like you weren't there, uh, something. And I said, okay. I said, hold on a second. I said, you're saying this guy wasn't there, but you're saying I am had what gives, right? How would you know? Right. And they, they told me you are in the archives and he is not. So when the movie comes out, it must've been very exciting. Well, this is the fun part for me. Uh, I guess (laughs) people are going to go fun. What are you talking about? So, my parents ended up getting divorced right around that time. Ah. And so my father moved to Yellowstone National Park. And my mother still lived in Death Valley National Monument. And so that summer, I went and spent the summer with my dad. And and never did see the movie in the theater. Oh, no. Yeah. Oh, so, gosh. Yeah, I totally missed that wave. And live growing up in national parks, they don't really talk about blockbuster hits a whole lot. Sure. Yeah. You know, it's a it's a totally different scene. Hey, hang on um, one second, Tim. We're going to take a quick break. We're talking with Tim Donaldson, played a Jawa in the original Star Wars. We'll be right back here on Guatney Unplugged. You're listening to Guatney Unplugged. 
on News Radio 102.9 KARN with Scott Romine. Brought to you by Guatney Automotive Group. Hey, Scott Romine here. Hope your Saturday's doing, going great. We're talking with Tim Donaldson. He played a Jawa in the original Star Wars. And I'm just shocked to find out you did not see the movie in the theater. Yeah, that's that's absolutely true. But I, I will tell you, I finally did get to see it um, in 2018. One of the local theaters here in town was showing it, and I got invited to come down and see it. So I finally did get to check that box off. Well, they did like uh, re-release the thing like in 1980. You should have gotten right. some other opportunities. I, I might have seen it that, but you know, to be honest, Scott, I don't remember seeing it. Wow. Um, yeah. So I, I, I may have, but I don't know for some reason, it's just like, I don't ever remember seeing it in the theater and, and granted growing up in national parks, it's a totally different world. Yeah. I can imagine. You know, we yeah. We don't have movie theaters or anything like that. I think in death Valley, the closest one was, las vegas which is hour and a half away or something (laughs) wow so when you finally see the film were you able to definitely pick yourself out in the movie i i can't say definitely you know because i mean we're going off of my memories from 45 years ago when i was five years old sure but i believe that i am the middle jawa on R2-D2's left side that carried R2-D2. Wow. Yeah. And so, you, but you're probably in other scenes, but that's the one you're, you're more right. clear right. on. I do remember being in the Canyon and, um, you know, different people rolling the rocks. Uh, I just can't tell you from my memory, which, which, you know, where specifically I am. The, uh, Tim, the, the costumes for Jawas, it seems to me like they're not all identical. Can you give us some details about what actually makes up a Jawa? And it also looks like it's made cheaply. Yeah, so it's a, it was just a, a canvas material or burlap material. Um, there was different shades of brown with it. Uh, there was, you know, the ends were frayed. Um our our feet wrapping were just some sort of uh, cloth wrapping, um, like maybe you would do a bandage type of thing, like an ace bandage um, or something, something like that. Yeah. Yes, um, we had the gloves, um, the the mask that I wore um, was just a a simple cloth hood with eye holes so I could see, and then the eyes, the glowing eyes were down on the cheeks and then we had a battery pack. Oh really? What kind of batteries yeah. ran that that that's that's interesting. I remember them being pretty good sized. Um and I don't know if it was those old big nine volt battery, like a, a Rayovac battery or if it was a D cell battery pack or what, but I remember it being significantly you know significant to put on. Yeah, it's interesting you say that because since 1977, it's not like we had all the fancy, super bright LEDs and things that we have now. It would have been hard, I would think, to make a lighted pair of eyes even show up on film. Right, right. And a lot of the scenes, um, you'll notice that you don't 
look directly at a Jawa to where you can see their eyes. Um, I do remember doing some of the filming without the hoods on at all. Really? Uh, yeah, just so we could see where we were going. Again, you're you're dealing with eight kids that have never taken an acting direction in their life, and you know, oh, like hoods. a rehearsal or something. I guess. Yeah. Yeah. These so. uh, the pouches that are strapped almost look like ammo pouches from World War II or something. That's exactly what most of them are. And oh, there's really? Variations. Yeah, there's different variations. Um, and there's a a picture on uh, on my social media that's actually me and and you can identify it's two different um pouches one was a a british and i don't remember what the other one i think the other one's italian um but they were ammo ammo pouches from world war ii and a jawa gun or whatever it is it looks like a rifle cut in half or something what makes that up so the the center section was a British Enfield World War II rifle um, that they cut down the the wood portion of it and then also cut down the barrel portion and installed that larger can on the front. Yeah, it just looks like half of a paint can or something. It's got a hose. Where does that hose go? Uh, as far as I know, it just goes into the costume somewhere. I don't really know. I didn't. I wasn't lucky enough to get to hold the gun. They probably didn't trust a five-year-old. So they did not every Jawa had the gun, I guess. What that you're is correct. Yeah. I just remember one Jawa having it during the shooting. I'm curious, Tim, were there any of the set pieces there? I know, I know they had like the tracks for the bottom of the sand crawler in Tunisia. Did you have any of that? No, we did not. In fact, the, the stairs that we walked up after setting R2-D2 down were stairs up onto a flatbed trailer. Really? Yeah. And then <laughs> the the sand crawler that we're walking up to is a piece of painted glass that was mounted to the camera. Wow. Just not, it's the movie magic, I guess. Yes, Given absolutely. The things people wouldn't think about. What was your reaction the first time you see a Jawa action figure on a card in a store? I mean, you know, I think it was surreal for me. I don't, you know, it, it was difficult to put together, you know, that that that's actually, I don't know that I ever said to myself, that is my action figure. I had them. I played, you know, played with them like crazy. I probably had a vinyl cape Jawa that's buried out in the sand somewhere. Uh, but I, you know, it was it was difficult for me to to make that connection mentally. <laughs> it's, it's an action figure of you, right? And that was, you know, when I got approached for the first time for autographs, I just I'm like, why? You know, I I just don't understand that, right? Um, now it's like every Jawa action figure I come across, I want to buy. You know, it's like, oh, I've got to save my family. You know, <laughs> for the casual fan, would you explain what a vinyl cape versus a regular cape Jawa is? Yeah, absolutely. So when they first introduced the action figures, um, there were several of them that had capes, and they put a vinyl cape. It was just a sheet of plastic as a cape on a Jawa, and that would make them look more like they had a robe 
Um, and they introduced that for a very short period of time. And then um, I believe it was George Lucas or whoever was in charge of the, the, the toy portion said, you know what? They're buying this little tiny action figure. It needs to have something better than the bigger size action figure. Yes. And so they made a little cloth rope robe that sat on it and that replaced the vinyl jape uh vinyl cape jawas the crazy thing is now is the vinyl cape jawa is the most valuable action figure of them all and what and how much is one worth these days oh my gosh i've seen prices up around sixty thousand dollars Ooh, for one on the on the card or in the package yeah in the original package and you know, very, very good condition and certified that it's actually the right thing. Probably 60,000 with your autograph. Well, 60,000 <laughs> and like $25. <laughs> there you go. There you go. Well, it's kind of fascinating. I mean, do you have a vinyl Cape Jawa? I do not. No. Uh, well, there's always yeah. that one thing you're searching for. Like I said, I probably buried mine out in the sand dune somewhere. If you go to Death Valley, you could probably dig some, you know, action figures. Probably I so. I was pretty rough on my toys. So if somebody wants to, to meet you, I guess you do some conventions or get an autograph. How would they find you? The best way to find me is just search Cool Jawa. Um, that's kind of my my handle as i go by my okay my alter ego cool jawa um and that's how you can find me on facebook instagram and twitter um and so for for autographs if somebody's interested i do them currently through the mail um you can contact me on any of those platforms um and we're getting ready actually we're gonna we're gonna set up a little um uh website store oh sure uh, yeah, we're getting ready to do that because um, I've got some T-shirts out there that that we've created um, and people could purchase an autograph and then find out uh, where I'm going to be in the future as far as convention-wise. Cooljawa.com, probably? I'm hoping. Yeah, I hope so. Somebody probably just took it. Ah, well, hopefully not. (laughs) Well, thank you so much. Tim Donaldson played a Jawa in the original Star Wars. Thank you, Tim. Absolutely. Thank you, Scott. You guys go have a great Saturday. See you next week on Guatney Unplugged.